This week's episode is brought to you by Pedialyte. For over 50 years, Pedialyte has been the go-to solution to help kids rehydrate after diarrhea or vomiting. But what you may not know is that Pedialyte helps everyone, both kids and adults, rehydrate due to all sorts of dehydration causes. So, whether it's you or your little one suffering through dehydration, see the light and rehydrate with Pedialyte to feel better faster. Now, hit that itch. What's up, listeners? This is Carson Sack, where we talk balls, and Happy New Year. Let me be the thousandth person or not to tell you that. So glad you are spending some of the new year taking your time to listen to this podcast. I've been gone a while, but here I am, the first episode of the new year, and I am so excited for 2018 to show you all what exactly I have planned, and let me tell you something, I've been cooking up some great things. First, before we get into anything, thing. I just want to show you all that. I'm not full of shit. I sort of know what I'm talking about here. I want to flash back all the way to the first episode I did. 13 episodes, not the first episode I ever did, but the first one I did of this year, all the way back 13 episodes ago where I previewed the college football season, the Heisman winners and everything, and just stuff like that. Just want to give you a picture of, hey, I'm not a total idiot. I know what I'm talking about. So it's a little lengthy clip, but it just proves my point a little bit. As well. This next team that I'm extremely high on as well, they're not overlooked, I feel, by any means, but I don't think they're taken as serious as they should be this year, is Georgia. They're top 25 this year preseason. Kirby Smart, his second year there. Um, Jacob Eason, they were both coming in first years together, but now second year together. Jacob Eason's a great quarterback, can throw the ball a mile, reads defenses really well. Kirby Smart, a really defensive-minded guy. They have 10 returning starters on off- on defense. Excuse me. I'll say that again. 10 returning starters on defense with a defensive-minded head coach. You don't. Like, you don't see that a lot. That's Their defense is going to be so good this year. It's going to keep them in so many games, and it's really going to make – it hard for teams to obviously score on them, but I think their defense is just going to be able to crack teams and just make them give up hope early, and then Eason's going to come over the top and just put up great, huge numbers. And all of this without even talking about Nick Chubb, who has the potential and the athleticism and the playmaking ability, whether it's catching the ball or running the ball in the backfield uh, as the running back, to win the Heisman. So Georgia very slept on. I think they have so many good things going for them. The defense, the head coach, the playmakers. Georgia, I'm super high on them this year. And if you don't believe that that was me on that episode, I literally referenced Jake e- Jacob Eason. He didn't even play this year. They had Jake from State from there, back there for him all year. But like I said, if you don't believe me, go to episode 17, dropped August 29th, and go to the 38 minute and 37 second mark where this all starts, and you can hear that. What is Georgia doing so far this year? Oh, they only lost one game, SEC champions, 
end in the college football playoff win one of if not the best games in the last 10 years and now they're sitting pretty about to face Alabama in the national championship game but wait I obviously talked about Georgia but this wasn't a really big limb to go out on but still just a little pat on the back hey Carson you were right the next guy we look at is my personal pick to win the Heisman this year he was there last year as a junior he threw for almost 4,000 yards. He sat at 3,965. He threw 40 touchdowns. He only had 177 rushing yards, but he did have six rushing touchdowns. He's sitting at 20 to 1. I'm talking about the Baker. I'm talking about Baker Mayfield, Oklahoma's quarterback. I'm so high on this guy. I'm. He's probably my favorite player outside of an Ohio State player just because I like his swagger I like the way he plays the game he did lose a lot of firepower this year so defenses are going to be able to focus in on him he lost D.D. Westbrook he lost Joe Mixon he lost uh, P. Ryan both running backs and that if they can find replacements to help just take the pressure off of him a little bit and players that can step up in big time big-time moments and make some plays for him. There's no reason. I, I could see him putting up 45 passing touchdowns, maybe 10 rushing touchdowns. And if he does that, he's got, like I said, a great chance to not only be in New York, but to win it as well. He's my pick. Baker Mayfield, your 2018 Heisman Trophy winner. Again, if you don't believe that was me and that, go ahead. It was at the 20-minute and 18-second mark. So, Granted, some of my other picks, they did fall through. I picked freaking Washington to make the college football playoff, so I fucked up. It happens. I picked Ohio State to make the college football playoff. I fucked up. But I got two out of the four, so 50%. That's better than some people could do. We have a ton of stuff to get into now that I took care of that. We're going to talk about the college football playoff, the first two games that happened, break those down a little bit, then going to just literally dissect the college football championship game, but what a bowl season it was. Tons of great games. The Saturday that I thought was going to be the best Saturday out of all of the bowl season, it didn't disappoint. Two out of the three games were masterpieces of games. The one I'm talking about is Saturday, December 23rd, Texas Tech played USF. USF scores late in the game for a 38-34 win. There was only 37 seconds left when USF threw the dagger into Texas Tech's heart. Cliff Kingsbury was devastated. Then that next game of the day, you had Army playing San Diego State, and Army scores a late touchdown as well on the whole triple option shit. They literally had possession of the ball for 14 of the 15 minutes in the third quarter. That's insane. They found a way to... I don't want to say stop because the kid had his yards, but they found a way to slow down San Diego State's running back, uh, Penny, slow down. He had 221 yards and four touchdowns, but Army as a team just came out a little bit more, and I don't want to say wanted it more, but they found a way to win, and then the disappointing, like I said, the two out of three, this was the third. Appalachia State demolished Toledo. I picked Toledo. I apologize for misleading my listeners in any way. And then another great game that happened, the Fosters Farm Bowl, Arizona and Purdue. Purdue pulls out a late, late touchdown to help win the game for them. Um, Manahuas, I I butchered that name, but 
it was an incredible catch for Purdue at the end of the game to secure the 38-35 victory. And I felt bad for Rich Rodriguez, but news to me is he was under investigation of sexual assault, and that's not cool. So sucks to suck, Rich Rod. You lose the game and you lose your job, but things are looking up for Jeff Brom at Purdue. Another fun little game. You have the Alamo Bowl. The Bowl. You had Stanford going up against TCU, and TCU was down big early in this game, early in the third quarter. Stanford was dominating completely. And then at halftime, Gary P- Patterson said in an interview, hey, we got more speed than them. We are faster than them. Let's fucking use it. And that's exactly what they did. Um, Rigor was a receiver for TCU, and he had a touchdown on a kick return a punt return, and then a receiving touchdown. The guy had 169 yards receiving on just five catches and a touchdown. He was a spark that TCU needed in the second half. And then Kenny Hill put 314 yards through the air and two touchdowns. And then he had nine carries, 60 yards, and a touchdown. He has been one of my favorite players. I'm always on his side. I'm so glad that he got to leave his college career on a high note with those great numbers and with a win. So shout out to TCU. Shout out to Bryce Love and Stanford as well. He had 145 yards and two touchdowns and was battling an injury the entire game. So shout out to him as well. Then we move on to the Jamie Lee Curtis, Lindsey Lohan day because it was a freaky Friday. Friday, December 29th, Three out of the five games that took place were all one-score games, but the two that we are most interested in here at the SAC are Kentucky and Northwestern and Ohio State and USC. I'll tell you about the other three, though. Wake Forest ekes by Texas A&M 55-52. I had no idea Wake Forest had that much offensive firepower. And then New Mexico State beats Utah State in overtime. I did not think that was going to happen at all. And then the fifth game on the docket that we're just not going to talk about, North Carolina State beats Arizona State. Arizona State looked pretty promising in the middle of the year, but North Carolina State shows, hey, they were actually a good team this entire year. Now, here is something we can talk about with the Kentucky-Northwestern game. Benny Snell was ejected in the game for really the only reason actually is for not accepting a hand from the ref to be helped up. And I don't, that's it really. That's all you can see on the tape. That's all the ref admitted to really. He, he didn't, Benny didn't say anything to him. He wasn't mean, I guess. He shoved it away, which was enough. I mean, if you're that butthurt about that, whatever. Don't be in a position where something that you can be, a decision you can make can affect something so highly because you're a little upset. But he was, and that happened, so whatever. On the other hand, though, Steven Johnson, my favorite football player to ever come through UK in my short fandom, but... Didn't have the best game that you'd want going out. Did have 257 yards. Put us in a position to win at the end of the game. He did have two interceptions, though. Um, Jackson for Northwestern did what he normally does. He got a ton of carries. He got 32 carries. He got 157 yards and two touchdowns. The leading receiver only had one catch for 28 yards. Sorry about the noise. It's I can't do anything about the ambulance. Ambulance. Um... What is disappointing is that if Benny did play, it probably would have been an entirely different game, but 
Northwestern's quarterback also got hurt as well. So if de facto, if both of those guys would have been there, would have been a totally, totally different game. I'm excited to see what UK football has coming next year. Drew Barker yesterday just announced that he's transferring. Not going to bash the guy. Never met him. Um, Some of my friends speak very highly of him, so I'd never liked him as a player. But as a person, I have no idea what he's like. But as a player, I don't like him. You can look at the tape when he stepped in. We did not play as well. We were not as good. And this just clears the way for touchdown Terry Wilson. So let's ring in the touchdown Terry era with just praise. Also, they think Hoke is going to give him a fight in camp. I would think Davis Mattingly is more of a competition to him than uh, Gunnar Hoke, but what do I know? Maybe he comes out and Hoke does and just wins the whole damn quarterback competition, and he's our week one starter. You never know with these Wildcats, man. Then the next game of that Freaky Friday was the Cotton Bowl Classic, where Ohio State dominated USC to a 24-7 victory. Ohio State had eight total sacks in this game. Sam Hubbard had two and a half. Nick Bosa, the returning junior, had one and a half sacks. Hubbard has gone to the NFL. Congratulations. You converted from a safety lacrosse player to one of, if not the best, defensive ends in college football. I loved watching you. You were a great player. Um, Thank you. I truly, truly appreciate it. Nick Bosa, this is your defensive line now next year. Don't screw it up. Um, Sam Darnold, this entire game was scrambling for his life. He did put up 356 yards, though, but an interception, no touchdowns. So the Buckeyes secondary, even without perennial first-round pick Denzel Ward back there, he sat out the bowl game. We're going to talk about players sitting out the bowl game after this, but Kept them out of the end zone. That's all you can ask for. I don't care if you... You can throw it for a 1,000 yards. If you're not getting in the end zone, I don't really care. On the other hand, JT Barrett. Only 114 yards through the air. No touchdowns. On the ground, 66 yards and two touchdowns. Some will say, hey, a very lackluster way to go out in a very eh career for JT Barrett. If you say that, I say two words to you. Fuck you. JT Barrett has done so much for the Ohio State program that it is ridiculous. Go to his first... And everybody says, oh, these stats, these records. It's because he's been there for so long. Go look at what the guy has done and tell me that... Why would we penalize him for being there for four years? Like, that's not a criticism. That's something like, hey, the kid stayed for for four years. Good for him. Like... What the fuck? Look at his first year, though. He had to come in short notice into the starting role because Braxton Miller gets hurt. He is thrust into that position. Does okay the first game against Army, and then the second game, yeah, we drop it to Virginia Tech at Ohio State. That doesn't happen. That was the first little backstep of his career. What does he do then? He rattles off victory after victory after victory until we play Michigan. And then in the fourth quarter, he's got us on our way to victory. And he un- uh, just, you know, very freak accident play gets hurt. 
Then Cardell comes in, and we know what happens. Comes in, wins that game, puts up 59-0, Wisconsin, rumbles past Alabama, and then dominates Oregon in the championship. Fine, whatever. Then, the next year, they both come back, and they have to deal with that quarterback controversy the entire way. Cardell gets to start the first five games. That's fine. JT only started five games that entire year, and he didn't even see action in some of them, and he still put up great numbers when he was there. So, you have that, and I feel that's just one way to talk about him in a completely different sense of off the field is his character and his maturity. Just, hey, they're going to do this with Cardale. I'm going to be here. I'm going to get better. I'm going to work in practice, and if my number's called, I'm going to do that. His number was called against Penn State that year. They were down. The game was in Columbus. Penn State was just playing so much better than us. I was at the game, and they bring in JT he single-handedly brings us back into that game and helps us win that game. And then you look at the year last year. He gets us to the college football playoff. Yes, do we not score in the game against Clemson? Yes, understandable. But you can only do so much as a quarterback, and his receivers were literally the worst of his career that he's ever had to work with. And I know you can't put it all on the receivers, but you got to have some help there, and he just didn't as much as he needed. Then you look at this year. The most defining moment of his career was the Penn State game, and when he that fourth quarter, I have rarely, I might have never seen a better performance in a quarter from a quarterback than I did of JT Barrett. He was 11 of 11. He brought us back from 18 points down. He threw for two touchdowns in that quarter and rushed for another one. JT Barrett proved why he is an all-time great quarterback in Ohio State and Big Ten history in that game. I know I'm going off on a tangent. I know they got blown out by Iowa the next week. JT Barrett, I will take him under center for me in a college football game over everyone any day of the week. More than likely it would be on a Saturday because that's when most college football games are played. But still, JT, I know you're probably never going to hear this. I know... I'm on my soapbox. I know you'll probably just shut up about JT. If you have any connections, though, that could get this in JT Barrett's ears, you go right ahead. Pass it along to him. JT, you got a lot of criticism. I want you to know I never talk shit about you. I was always in your corner. You're not going to get appreciated as much. Maybe next year Dwayne Haskins isn't what it is to be and Tate Martell comes in isn't what it's supposed to be and they'll be like, hey, We had consistency with JT. I miss him. I hope that doesn't happen. I hope just naturally people realize, wow, JT Barrett was a hell of a guy. A great player, but an even better person. So, JT, thank you for being a Buckeye and all your years at Ohio State. Okay, moving on to the next day, Saturday, December 30th. Louisville played Mississippi State. Mississippi State intercepted Lamar Jackson four times. And I got some Cards fans, some Cards people as well, thinking that, hey, because of that poor performance in the bowl game, maybe Lamar Jackson's going to come back. Maybe he is. If you think about it, he could. I mean, it might be smart to honestly because this draft class is just rich with so many quarterbacks. I think Sam Darnell out at USC could do the same thing as well. Come back, develop a little bit more. What 
baffles me the most is when people are like, oh, just come back to college. Like, you can develop. You can do more. It In college, you have so much other shit to deal with. I mean, you have school. That's the big thing. You have school that cuts, not doesn't cut into your time, but takes up so much of your time because that should be the first reason you go there. So they have that and just so many other things. Like, yes, they can progress. They can learn things. They can get better in college. But when you're a professional player in any sport, that's your job. That's not something you do on the side and you deal with other things as well. Like, that is your job. Even if you are in the leagues and you have like to do commercials and everything, your main thing, your first priority is getting better and performing at your job, aka the sport you play. So you get better and better on a daily basis, hopefully, to do that. So everybody that thinks, oh, coming back to college is the best way to get better and everything, it's not. It's really not because you have so many other things to deal with. <clears throat> Do I think Lamar Jackson ultimately comes back? No, I don't think he should. I don't think he has anything else to prove. I think he goes to the league and gets drafted maybe somewhere. Personally, I would take him in the second round, early second round. Pair him up if you can with somebody you took in the first round. That's a big playmaker. But <clears throat> that's just me. Mississippi State win that game 31-27. <clears throat> and then Washington Penn State played a great game in the Fiesta Bowl. Saquon Barkley for Penn State just showing why that he should be one of the top picks come April in the NFL draft. 137 yards on the ground, two touchdowns, 98-yard touchdown run for him in that game. So draft him high, obviously. And then Wisconsin played Miami in the Orange Bowl that night, a home game for Miami, but Wisconsin brought a little swagger. Who said Wisconsin was just a lot of corn-fed white boys? Touchdown for them, and then afterwards they put on the chain for one guy. It wasn't a real chain, but they imaginarily put on a chain of a Wisconsin player, and then they snatch it right off, just like they snatched that win away from Miami. Do you? Are they back? They're not. They're the shoulders right now. They're close to being back, but they're they can see it. They can see the back. They're so close to being back, but they're just not back yet. But keep your eye on them next year, I guess. I don't. This isn't breaking down next year's or anything by now. But Wisconsin wins that one, 34-24. And then the New Year games, the ones we can lo- I love to talk about is the first game of the day, UCF going up against Auburn. UCF 12 and 0 on the year coming into the game, sitting at 12th in the country. They go in and they beat Auburn 34-27. And I've heard people say, oh, this was UCF's biggest game of the year. They were so up to play. And this was Auburn's maybe fourth biggest game of the year. It doesn't matter to Auburn. Bullshit. These players, it means something to them. It means certainly something to the coaches because Gus Malzahn was considered to maybe be fired this year. Granted, he did rattle off wins against Georgia and Alabama, so that helped, but he was on the hot seat this year. Yes. Was this a, probably a bigger game for UCF than Auburn? Yes, it was. I'll give you that. But UCF comes out, their quarterback, Milton. I'll just give you a rundown real quick. Just real quick. 242 yards and two touchdowns through the air, then 116 yards on the ground with one touchdown. He came out, set the world on fire on both ends of running and passing and then UCF's defense all they they allowed 99 90 
excuse me, 90 rushing yards on 44 carries for Auburn. No team in the SEC was doing that. They weren't. Maybe Georgia did a little bit more, like a little better. I think they allowed more yards in the SEC championship game than what they when what UCF allowed. And they also had eight sacks on the day, too, did UCF on, um, excuse eight, my apologies. They had six on Auburn's quarterback. Auburn only had one. So the other big thing in this is Scott Frost, he stayed with UCF after he got hired by Nebraska. So a shout-out to him. I hate the fact that you are coming to Nebraska. You're coming to Big Ten. You're bringing all your assistants that just completed a 12-0, and 0, a 13-0 year. Gosh, a 13-0 year that you're bringing to the Big Ten. But still, hats off to you for finishing what you started there. You took the team from 0-12 to 13-0. That doesn't happen like, hats off to you. You deserve tons of praise. So good for you, Scott Frost. Now, we move to the college football playoff, and the Rose Bowl game got us started, and good God, was it a hell of a game. Georgia ends up winning it 54-48. Just, I'll roll down the stats for you. Jake Fromm had 210 yards and two touchdowns. Sony Michelle had 181 yards, three touchdowns, and two lazy eyes. And Wims, the receiver for Georgia, I think one of the most underrated receivers in the SEC. 73 yards and a touchdown. On the other side for Oklahoma, Baker Mayfield, 287 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, Anderson for Oklahoma, 201 yards and two touchdowns. And then Brown, they were forcing him the ball all the way Hollywood Brown, I Love that name. He was a speedster. 114 yards and one touchdown. Also on Georgia's side, we have to look at the other back for them. Nick Chubb had 145 yards and two touchdowns. His long of the day was a 50-yarder. This game was an all-time classic. A shootout. At one point, I think Georgia was averaging about 20 yards per carry. I don't know why they even threw the ball at that point. Um, Sony Michelle literally could have gone from the most hated man in Georgia football history. He fumbled, and Oklahoma ran that back for a touchdown late in the game, but he redeems himself, scoring the winning touchdown in the overtime game. Also, just before we get anything, that picture of him with his eyes – like lazy to point it out, cross-eyed, whatever. I feel so bad for him. I don't know if that's his, what he really looks like or if that's just bad camera or whatever, whatever. I don't know, but literally that dude just had the best game of his career, scored the winning touchdown, and he's going to get talked so much shit about because of those. Uh, fuck them. Granted, I did say one thing, but like anybody that goes out of their way to just keep hammering at home, fuck off. You don't. Don't do that to a kid like that. Don't do that to Sonny Michelle because both Sonny Michelle and Nick Chubb came back for their senior seasons and said, hey, we're going to try and get Georgia a national championship, and they are one win away from doing that. So super high, so happy for them to do that, so high on them at the start of the year, and they proved me right. Thank you. Kirby Smart taking a team his second year to the national championship game that is awesome good for him as well baker mayfield's controversial storied college career comes to an end still one of my favorite players in college football this past year 
Um, had a luscious clear from walk-on to Heisman winner. Walked on at a different school, won the Heisman at a different school. Happy for him. He'll probably go make some money in the NFL. So, with all that being said, Georgia wins this one in what, if I mean, if you like defense, sorry, you're a shit out of luck in this game, but Georgia wins this great game, one for the ages, the first overtime game in Rose Bowl history, can you believe that, that's insane, but two overtimes for them to do it, Georgia wins this one, 54-48, go dogs. shout out Jeff Brifty. Then the nightcap of the college football playoff for the day. You had Alabama, the four seed, going up against Clemson, the one seed. I think they got these seedings fucking wrong. Clemson puts up six points, two field goals. Alabama puts up 24 points. And you might be thinking, oh, well, Alabama, like, that wasn't that wasn't a close game, but they didn't blow them out or anything. If you watch this game, it was ugly. Clemson had nothing going for them the entire night. They had no... Kelly Bryant, their quarterback, who was thought to be this better version of Jalen Hurts. He had 124 yards through the air and two touchdowns. What did Jalen Hurts have? 120 yards through the air and two touchdowns. And everybody said, oh, he can't really throw the ball. You got to make him beat you with his arm. He can't do that. He's a good runner, but not that great of a passer. Okay, whatever. If you... Alabama's players are just creatures. Literally, they're all like 6'4", 6'5", 235 pounds just of freaking meat. Just muscles. And they all run freaking 4'5", or less. It's just ridiculous to me. And it's just year in and year out, they keep getting more and more. And admittedly, I don't watch that many Alabama games, really. So... The playoffs and the SEC, like late in the game, late in the year games, are really when I get to see them. This was the first game of Alabama that I actually sat down and watched. And I feel like it always is, but they have just so many players that wear weird numbers for one that just come out on defense and are making insanely athletic plays, insanely physical plays. It's just ridiculous to me how good they are. And then the receiver, Kelvin Ridley, I mean. He only had four catches, but one of them was a huge play that got him the drive extended. He only had 39 yards, but he did have the one touchdown. He is, I think, really, you got to do that right now, Siren. But I still think he's the best receiver in college football. Clemson, literally, they could not get anything going. They, It was literally such a boring game to watch because Alabama came out and just dominated. And that's what happens when you give... Nick Saban a month to just get his team ready to get them just so fired up and think that nobody gave him a chance or just have them see all the shit that was talked about him that's just what happens and shout out to the thick six they had a defensive lineman catch a touchdown pass did Alabama after he had just intercepted the ball so happy for him putting on for big men everywhere I appreciate you showing hey we do have some athleticism our hands aren't just for hitting people in the shoulder pads every play it's for hey we can catch things too but now this sets up the game between Alabama and Georgia in the college football championship game. So this coming Monday, Georgia plays Alabama in the national championship game. Obviously, before I get into anything, 
Georgia has a player on their team named Riley Ridley. Receiver. He's got two touchdowns on the year, but good God. Why did their parents hate everyone else to make that such, like, a hard name to say? Riley Ridley. Why are you doing that to us, the Ridley family? Why are you doing that to Riley? You know how hard it was for him to probably, like, go through life? You know, Riley Ridley, Riley Ridley. I'm sorry. I just had to point that out. Well, here's my breakdown. I think both of these teams are just mere images of each other. If you look at the running backs, they both have two great running backs. Alabama with Damian Harris and Bo Scarborough. Georgia with Nick Chubb and Sonny Michelle. Then the receivers, you have Kelvin Ridley and then Wims for Georgia. Wims has more touchdowns. Ridley has more yards. I think Ridley means more to his team than Wims right now just because without him, they have no real threats in the passing game. Both of their defenses are ridiculous. Georgia's led by Raquan Smith. 124 tackles on the year. Linebacker, just a freak athlete, just a freak of nature. Watched him in the games that of Georgia that I did get to see, and he is around the ball so often. He didn't really make a lot of plays the first half against Oklahoma, but he did the second, and it was noticeable how much of an impact he can have. Then the quarterback situation is where I'm really having the hardest time struggling to see who would have the edge. Like I said, I think both of these teams are just the same team. They're mere images of each other. The quarterback position, though, I think is totally different. You have Jalen Hurts for Alabama, who's a totally mobile quarterback. He's better on the ground than he is through the air, but he limits mistakes. He's only got one interception. And then Fromm does the same thing, limits mistakes. I mean, he's only got five interceptions. Fromm's the better passer, obviously. Um, Has more yards, more touchdowns. That's okay. That's fine. What I think is going to help Alabama and Hurts is Hurts has gone through two college football seasons in the SEC. And I want to apologize again about these sirens. I apologize. Hurts has gone through two seasons in the SEC. He's been in back-to-back college football playoffs. So he's played three huge games in his career so far. Two years ago, well, one year ago, against Washington and then against Clemson National Championship and then against Clemson this year in the first playoff game. Jake Fromm has a year of SEC football play under his belt with big games against Notre Dame at Notre Dame that they won, and then the SEC championship game. That was a must-win for them. Jake Fromm's the better quarterback, so I give that edge to Georgia. I I want... This is tough. This is really tough for me because Nick Chubb and Sonny Michelle, I think, are the better running back tandem just because they're two 
different style of running backs where Alabama, they're both pretty much like enforcer running backs. Bo Scarborough is huge. He's definitely a power runner. And Damian Harris, he is more of a power runner than a shifty back by every means. Sony Michelle is more, he's not a scat back or anything like that, but he is so quick and so just make people miss. And he's still not afraid to deliver hits, which is why he's a great back. And then Nick Chubb, he is a great just power runner and can also make people miss too. I give it to Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle in the running back battle. So then I give Kelvin Ridley and the other receivers for Alabama the edge in that. Then it all comes down pretty much to the defense. And the defenses for both these teams are ridiculous. They're filled with amazing athletes, amazing playmakers. And I honestly, I think you got to give that to Georgia as well, just because they have 11, they have 10 returning starters, and one of the best, if not the, probably the defensive player in the SEC, and Jaquan Smith. So every, it sounds like I would pick, I'd be picking Georgia, right? Like, yeah, I should. Like, the way I'm speaking, my thing is, I found myself somehow rooting for Alabama against Clemson. I don't know how. Alabama's opened up as a four-and-a-half-point favorite, so they think they're going to win. Coaches that have coached under Nick Saban, assistant coaches, are now all-time 0-11 when facing Nick Saban. And I know this is going to sound bullshit. My mind is saying Alabama, my heart wants Georgia. And that is such a cop-out to me. So I feel like I need to pick somebody. I I hate to do this. I really do. I don't understand why or how I am going to do this. But, oh, God, I hate myself. I'm going to go... Fuck it. No, I'm not. I'm going with Georgia. I was... Literally, in the two seconds that I just did, I talked myself out of going with Alabama. Let's go, dogs. I am ready for the national championship to come back to Georgia. Let's go, dogs. Let Where my dogs at? I really hope that happens. I can see Alabama win this game, but I'm picking Georgia. And as Kirby Smart likes to say, boom, motherfucker. So, college football is taken care of. That's it. I'll talk about the National Championship game the next time I get on the podcast, but that was the last it's the last time we're going to be able to talk about it really um until next year and that's pretty upsetting. I'm emotionally damaged right now because of that. I really am. I mean, there's more football to talk though. So, let's talk about NFL. The playoffs start this Saturday where the Titans and Chiefs and the Falcons and Rams play each other. It's wild card weekend. Um, I'm just going to run through these really quickly. I just don't think there's a reason why I need to prolong this. I think the Chiefs beat the Titans pretty handily, and um, I think the Titans do end up firing their coach after this game. He was in a playoff or bust situation this year, and I think if they get embarrassed 
then, yeah, he could be gone. Then the second game, the Falcons and the Rams. I like the Falcons in this one. I think Julio Jones and Mohamed Sanu make a couple big plays, and then I think the tandem running back they got going down there with Coleman and Freeman. Freeman has been stepping up huge in these past couple weeks out of the backfield, not only running but catching. He had some fumbling issues, and I guess that just lit a fire under his ass because he has been setting the world on fire these past couple weeks. So, I got the Chiefs over the Titans and the Falcons over the Rams. Both the Chiefs, easy call. The Falcons going out bit on a limb, but I think they have the talent, and their defense is pretty good as well. I think if they can somehow stop Todd Gurley, not stop him, just slow him down, and I think if they can get a few sacks on golf, which they have proved in the past, they can pressure the quarterback insanely well. I think that really helps them. And then they're playing at the Rams. They're playing in L.A. There is no home field advantage for the Rams at all. So that's why I take the Falcons over the Rams in that. Then you move to Sunday, and these are where the games get a little interesting, a little harder to pick. You got the Bills against the Jaguars at 1, and they have the Saints against the Panthers at 4. Games are in Jacksonville and in New Orleans, so both should be, I mean, New Orleans will be good weather, but a huge home field advantage for the Saints. And then the Jaguars um, should be good weather. I mean, Jacksonville's a lovely city. I'd love to vacation there, maybe, I don't know, but... Jacksonville, not that much really of a home field advantage. First game, look at Bills and the Jaguars. If LaShawn McCoy plays, which right now that is still up in the air, and that's a huge blow for the Bills because he is, as everyone knows, so shifty. He's Shady McCoy. He's such a dynamic playmaker with the ball in his hands. It's hard to go against them if he is there, but if he's not, I can easily see that them having trouble moving the ball. Tyrod Taylor at quarterback, when he's on, he's on. When he's off, he is completely off. Blake Bortles is the same, though. When he's on, he is on. When he's off, he is totally off. That defense is getting a lot of credit. It is a good defense. It's not a great defense. I'll say that again. It's good. It's not great. Early in the year, did they make big plays and make a couple quarterbacks look stupid? They they made Ben Ben. Roethlisberger looked terrible because he threw six intercept, four or six interceptions. I know it wasn't five, but it was four or six. That was awful. And people wanted Ben to, oh, it's the steal. Is Ben too old? Is Ben that fuck off? There was one bad game. The Jaguars against the Bills. I'm going to go take the Jaguars. I think they ride Leonard Fournette to a big victory in this one. Move on to the next round. This next game, um, I don't know how to pick. Um, You got the Panthers going up against the Saints, obviously. Drew Brees in that offense is still high-powered as ever. Alvin Kamara is just a big ball of energy that I guess finds the end zone in so many different ways every week that it's insane. Mark Ingram is having the best year of his career. Michael Thomas is the first rookie to have as he has more catches in his first two years than any other receiver in NFL history. Shout out to Mike Thomas. Their defense riddled with playmakers and guys that can take the ball away. They are a great scoring defense. They are not a great defense. The Panthers, Cam Newton, if you as 
if you have him, you always have a chance to win the game because of how much of a playmaker and how much of a competitor he is. Their running game <clears throat> with Jonathan Stewart lacks a little bit, but Christian McCaffrey can make plays out of the backfield, running or catching. The receivers, very and eh, Devin Funches has been okay as of late. Greg Olson, three-leg Greg, has been okay as of late. The big thing, though, is their defense is always there and always on. Keekly, Thomas Davis, Julius Peppers, you can always count on those guys and the rest of that defense to show up and make an impact in the game. I'm going to take the Saints. I think the offense is just too much for Carolina's defense, and I know it's to the point now where... Running game and defense wins you these games. I think the Saints have a good enough defense where they can win this, and I think they definitely have the better running game. The more impactful runners, the more playmaking runners as well. So I'm going to take the Saints in that one. So to wrap it all up and give you that, we got the Chiefs over the Titans, Falcons over the Rams, Jaguars over the Bills, and Saints over the Panthers in the wildcard weekend of the playoffs. Some other things to talk about just in the football world in general, college football and NFL. Big thing this bowl season last season was players sitting out their bowl games. Ones that are obviously going to have a future in the NFL. Is it okay to do? Is it not okay to do? I understand from the fans' perspective, hey, it's bullshit. You shouldn't sit out games if you're a player. I get that. You want your team, if you're supporting them in college, to have the best chance to win their bowl game to play in it that's what you want as a fan on the flip side if you're a player and you have the chance of getting hurt which you can you saw Jalen Smith impacted his career slightly he got drafted in the second round lost out on millions of dollars the linebacker from Notre Dame I'm talking about he missed an entire NFL year lost out on millions of dollars he's balling out though for the Cowboys now the cream and the talent always rises to the top obviously but I think that was a big like eye-opener to a lot of these players that, hey, like shit actually does happen. This getting injured really does affect draft stock and everything like that. So, <clears throat> And you don't know the situations, really, that these players are coming from. I mean, you might have an idea that maybe some are coming from more underprivileged areas and everything like that, but you don't know situation by situation what is going on, so... If you're in a position to make money at the next level and you don't want to jeopardize that and you want to take care of your family and you can do that, I totally support you sitting out a game. If it's because you're afraid you're going to get injured, I get that too, but <clears throat> I am more on the player's side when it's, hey, like this money I'm going to get me is really going to help out my family and whatever else I got going on rather than, oh, I just don't want to get injured so my draft stock isn't hurt so I can make more money. Sort of like what Josh Rosen had going on. I know that's kind of me throwing him under the bus. And I'm not trying to make this a, a issue of like race either, which, I mean, might come off as me saying like underprivileged things like that. I mean, Josh Rosen, his family, I know they sacrificed a lot for him to play and everything, so... Same with goes with him. I understand that the money is going to help out his family, but not as much as it could help out other people's in certain si other situations. And I'm not trying to make it a thing like that at all. So I apologize if that's how it's coming off at all to any of you all. <clears throat> then there are a bunch of head coaching positions to fill in the NFL. So right now the team's looking for a head coach. 
<clears throat> you got the Raiders, Lions, Giants, Colts, Bears, and Cardinals. So, we got that going on. And then some people thought that Marvin Lewis was out in Cincinnati. Everyone in the AFC, thank you, Mike Brown. Thank you, um, the entire Bengals organization, for not only bringing back Marvin Lewis as your head coach, but bringing back your offensive coordinator as well. Your offense sucked this last year. It was the most bland and terrible offense in the AFC North. And you didn't get your playmakers, A.J. Green, the ball enough. You had no idea how to handle Joe Mixon and Giovanni Bernard. Um, you, you sucked. And John Ross was a total waste um, at receiver. So congratulations. Your team is going to suck the next couple of years. Or maybe not the next couple of years, but definitely next year because literally nothing has changed. So Way to go. Maybe Marvin Lewis can take you to the playoffs. You can lose wild card weekend again. Who fucking knows? Who cares? Bengals suck. Raiders file Jack Del Rio. Um, they are apparently making a hard push for John Gruden. John Gruden isn't that great of a coach. When he did win in uh, Tampa Bay, Monty Kiffin was his defensive coordinator running the Tampa, two, Tampa 4-3, Tampa 2, whatever it was called. He was a revolutionary defensive coordinator. Um, and then he was pretty much winning with all of Tony Dungy's players as well. Hell of an offensive-minded coach. His plays are like freaking William Shakespeare soliloquies. They are so fucking long. It is going to be so hard for Derek Carr to remember any of those plays. He's a smart guy, but God, that's going to be hard. And then Marshawn Lentz, good God. Can you imagine John Gruden and Marshawn Lentz together? Try and get Marshawn to learn those plays. It'll just fuck it. Nah. Tell me run right, run left, John. Tell me run right, run left, Groot. Little Chucky. God, that would be... If John Gruden goes to the Raiders and they are not this season's hard knocks, I'm not watching. They need to be this season's hard knocks if John Gruden goes there. Then... Other teams, the Lions, they fired Jim Caldwell. Not really sure what they're looking for. The Giants, I think the next guy they bring in needs to be a totally offensive-minded coach just because they have a lot of talent on that side of the ball. I think they take a running back and then a quarterback to shirt up their offense in the coming years because Odell, Sterling Shepard, and then Evan Ingram right there. They got pieces. I think you trade away Eli Apple and you try and get a pick for him, whether it's a second round or a third round, or I don't know. But Eli Apple is a great young talent. He can go be a good player for another team, but that shit's just not working in New York for you, bud. And then you got the Colts who bring in maybe Bruce Arians who stepped down from the job. He retired, quote, air quotes, retired from uh, Arizona, the Cardinals job. I don't think he's fully retired. I think if you bring back anybody, he did a great job stepping in for Chuck Pagano when he had his health issues. I think, and he's one of the best offensive-minded guys in football, just general. Get a chance to go back, work with Andrew Luck, a fully healthy Andrew Luck. They could be dangerous, but the Colts, their problems are so many. Their line, their defense, just, ugh. Then you got the Bears, don't know what they're looking for. I think they need a coach that's going to be able to help Mitch Trubisky just develop on a week-by-week basis. Their defense is good. Their D-line is great. I think if you take 
a linebacker, a secondary player in the draft. I think that only shirts up their defense. They need another playmaker on the outside. They need a playmaker on the outside just to help Mitch Trubisky develop. And then the Cardinals, I have no idea what those guys are going to do. I'm not even going to try and debate and speculate what they're going to do. They're just going to get a new coach. That's all I know. Some names to look at, though. Just maybe possible candidates to fill these. Pete Carmichael, he's the Saints offensive coordinator, and he's fairly young. He's only 46. Uh, John DeLafippo, he's the Eagles quarterback coach. He's young. He's 39. He has been the one that has developed Carson Wentz in Philadelphia. Todd Haley, he's the Steelers offensive coordinator and has breathed life back into that offense. If he goes, I... Oh my, I want the Steelers to pay Bruce Arians all of King Midas's gold to come back as our offensive coordinator because we were lighting the world on fire with him as our offensive coordinator. So if that happens, Todd Haley, you leave. Bring Bruce Arians back. <clears throat> Jim Harbaugh, he's always going to be thrown around as a candidate. If he goes back to Andrew Luck and Indy, that might be a good thing because shit's not working out so far with him at Michigan. Josh McDaniels, the Patriots offensive coordinator, he's only 41. He's already had a head coaching stint in the NFL with the Broncos. Didn't work out that great, but it was okay. And then you can have Matt Nangy, the Chiefs Chiefs offensive coordinator, he's not really lighting the world on fire, really. David Shaw, Stanford head coach, I just don't foresee him leaving. Pat Shermer, the Vikings offensive coordinator, making Case Keenum look like a amazing player this year. I think he can get some play as a guy that could get some stuff, get a job. Dennis Allen, the Saints defensive coordinator, I just don't foresee that being a good fit. They're a good takeaway team as a defense, but not a good not a good defense as a whole. And then Mike Vrabel. This is one of the best defensive-minded guys in the NFL. He's a Texans defensive coordinator, so if you're looking for a defense to get better, he is a guy you got to look at. He could be a guy for the... <clears throat> <clears throat> excuse me, for the Giants shot because they need defense more than they need anything. And then Matt um, Patricia, Patricia Tuck? Matt Patricia, my apologies, Matt Patricia, the defensive coordinator for the New England Patriots. I would love to see that man as a head coach. He literally, he looks like my uncle. He looks like I could be related to him, really. Big, big dude. A beard, all the good stuff. Where's the pencil in the ear? Be the first guy in, first guy, last guy out type of guy. Probably Belichick two Belichick two Honestly, just the way they approach things and how their body type. They're very similar. They're very big guys. The bigger guys, whatever. They both keep it casual on the sidelines. I'd love if he got a job as a head coach in the NFL. And now all that football talk is done. I'm going to squeeze in real quick a new segment that I'm going to do each week in college basketball just because it's so hard to just talk about every game that happens. We are going to new segment. It's called the Sacks Shaft. And you can either go up the shaft or down the shaft. And it's just going to be a weekly thing I do with teams in college basketball that are getting hot or getting cold. The team that is going down the shaft very quickly, they are uh, fuck, they are awful right now, is Kansas. They've lost three games already at home. At home. I'll give you that again. They have lost three games at home already to power conference teams. That doesn't happen. They were 110-3 and three before this year. 
in the uh, at their home court. So that's they are down the shaft completely. They need to get their shit together, or they their string of like twenty six Big Twelve championships is coming to an end rapidly if they don't get stuff together by the end of this year. And then teams that are moving up the shaft, Arizona. They are on an eleven game win streak after dropping. Three earlier on in the year. Arizona, I like them a lot. Alonzo Trier, and then they have this other big man that is escaping me right now, his name. But he is so physically gifted, and he is so muscular and ripped. It is insane. He is a bully down on the block. He's strong where he can bang with anybody, and then he's fast enough that he can get around so many people. Another team moving up the shaft, Oklahoma and Trey Young. Trey Young dodged the Cats. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm so sorry. Um, has dodged the cats and went and made a name for himself out in Oklahoma. Lon Kruger said, I'm going to let you run the offense. I'm going to do the offense through you. And John Calvary said, I just can't do that. And Trey Young is balling out out there. Another team moving up the shaft, Xavier. They are 14-1. and They're sitting at fifth in the country. They are just consistently playing great basketball. They beat Butler last night. A good Butler team. Keelan Martin on that team can put up a lot of points and impact the game in so many ways. And they took care of them. And then the team that is on the shaft moving up the most is Michigan State. They dropped that game against Duke earlier on in the year, and then they have gone to not lose a game since. They're the perennial number one, Miles Bridges and Nick Ward. And then all the other players from them are just playing at the top of their level. Tom Izzo has them playing great. I don't even think he's flipped the switch yet. The patented Izzo switch that come March, they are just one of the best teams in the country. I think he needs to slow down their... It's very rare that a Tom Izzo team right now in the past couple years is where they are right now, top-ranked recently, but it's good for the Big Ten. It's good for the Spartans. So they're up the shaft. Kansas, you are quickly falling down the shaft. You might not even be on the shaft come next week. That's it. That's episode 30 of Carson Sack Podcast, where we talk balls. It was a long one. I hope you're still listening now. As always, like, rate, review, subscribe, everything on iTunes, or if you listen on SoundCloud, do something. I don't know what they do. I want to thank you for being here with me to welcome in, ring in the new year. I truly, truly appreciate all the support I always get. Share this with anybody you can. Retweet the tweet that I'm going to put out about it here in like 10 minutes. I really appreciate all of you all for listening. I hope this new year, if you want to be new year, new you, do it. Be the best you you can be in 2018. New year, new nudes is what I'm doing. New me, no. New year, new nudes for me. How about that? What's up? Ladies, hit me up. But also, truly, truly do appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to the sack. We're only going up in 2018. I I say it, I say this is the best podcast by a college student in America, and it is. I truly believe that, and the support I get from all y'all, the how much, how many people and just random people I have that come up to me at function and say, oh, I like your podcast, I listen to your podcast, is mind-blowing to me. So thank you all, it means a lot, and as always, as we close out on Carson Sack where we talk balls, we will be seeing you.